So today, we come to this challenging passage that Michael has just read for us. There are some famous phrases in there which have made it into common usage today. I'm sure you've heard them before. Things like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or turn the other cheek, even love your enemies. But just because we've heard it before doesn't make it easy to work out how to apply Jesus' teaching here into the vast range of situations in which we might find ourselves in today's world. For instance, at one end of the scale, some of us might know somebody, or it could perhaps be us ourselves, who is living through the nightmare of abusive behavior at home or in some other context. And that might well raise questions. What does it mean to turn the other cheek in those sorts of situations? Does that even apply in those contexts? Or at the opposite end of the spectrum, we might reflect on what it looks like to turn the other cheek when someone is just really irritating us, perhaps nagging us to do a favor or letting us down in some way, whatever it is. This is not simple. It's not straightforward. We're going to come back to those questions as we reflect on this together. But for now, just hear that this is not going to be a one-size-fits-all message. There's going to be quite a lot of nuance as we go through and if any of you would like to chat or pray about a particular situation that you're living through, that you want to um, just process with someone, then Patrick and I would love to chat some more at the end of this service or at some other time to listen and reflect with you. But we're going to look at our passage in two halves, and we're going to see how Jesus addresses ways in which the teaching of the law from the Old Testament had been distorted by the religious leaders of his day. Jesus reaffirms the authority of the Old Testament scripture, and he draws out the full implications of all of this for his followers. So it would be great if you have your Bibles open. There's Bibles under the chairs at the end of each row. So do grab one and pass them down. We're on page 970. And we're going to look at this together. And just as you grab hold of those and turn to page 970, let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that as we explore your word together this morning, that you would come by your Holy Spirit and open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you want to say to us and to learn how you call us to live. Grant us the help to follow your teaching, not in our own strength, but in your own. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with the first half of the passage, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So that is a quote from the Old Testament. Jesus is referencing Exodus chapter 21, where there is a very specific context for this bit of law. So the context is two people are fighting, they hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely. And then the law in Exodus says this, if there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 
hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It's quite a lot more than is quoted in the New Testament there, isn't there? But in its context, back in Exodus, this was a principle of justice for the people of Israel, which limited compensation to the exact equivalent of the injury that had been inflicted. Nothing more, nothing less. The aim being to stop people taking the law into their own hands and exercising revenge disproportionately. This was a principle, a system of justice that was supposed to be applied in court so that justice was upheld. But the Pharisees, in Jesus' time, had taken the principle from the law courts where it belonged into the realm of personal relationships where it did not belong. And they allowed people to take an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, for themselves in their personal relationships without any reference to going through the proper legal procedures. So what Jesus is saying is that there is no place in our personal relationships for taking revenge on somebody else in that sort of way. We are called to be so totally not revengeful, not even sure that's a word, sorry, Barbara, but I couldn't think of a different way of saying it, that we even allow the person who's hurt us to double the injury. We are to give more than they ask, to go further than they request, to not turn away from their demands. Going back to the situation I referenced earlier of a friend nagging us for a favour or somebody who lets us down repeatedly. I think the implication is clear. We are to go the extra mile. We are to respond with kindness and generosity, even when that's not what we're getting back. We're to go over and above by showing God's love and bless somebody who has hurt us. But does that mean that we're therefore to be a doormat and let people walk all over us and treat us however they like? Well, no. In verse 39, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. So he does not pretend that there are not evil people out there. And he does not say that it's wrong to call evil what it is. Sadly, we live in a world where evil does sometimes need to be called out, whether that's on a global scale or within personal relationships in our homes or elsewhere. It's not wrong. In fact, it's the right thing to do, to draw a line in the sand and say, this is not okay when someone treats us badly. It's complicated, isn't it? Holding together these two realities of being prepared to name evil for what it is, whilst avoiding taking revenge at the personal level, can be really tough. We might quite rightly want to see people punished for the extremes of what they have done to us or to those we love. And we might have questions about how all of this fits together. So as we reflect on this, let's turn briefly to the book of Romans, where Paul addresses these questions and adds some helpful insights. I'm going to refer to a couple of bits from Romans 12 and 13. So if you want to turn in your Bible, we are on page 1139, at the very bottom of that page and then over the page. Romans 12:18, Paul says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. 
so far sounds pretty similar to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Live at peace, don't take revenge. But Paul then continues, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So it's not our place to be judge and jury when someone hurts us. But the God of justice promises that he will avenge our wrongs. And so we're asked to trust him and leave the judging and the punishing to him. So that's great. We can trust God. But does that mean we have to wait for the final day of judgment before we get to see justice when we're wronged? Because that feels like it could be a long time to wait. Not exactly. So Paul continues on in chapter 13 of Romans. This is at the beginning of chapter 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So I think that's an important principle. The responsibility of the state in maintaining justice and acting as God's agents in the present time. And that includes handing out appropriate and fair punishments when someone is convicted of doing wrong. So the key thing to take away from this bit is that the role of the state, so our system of courts and judges and juries and all that, the state has a different role to the individual. In our personal relationships, we're asked to turn the other cheek when we're hurt, to go the extra mile and never to take revenge. Ultimately, we are to trust in God's justice, that he will one day right every wrong that is done to us and those we love. But in the meantime, the state has a role in exercising justice and punishment on God's behalf. So if a crime is committed against us, or, as I referenced earlier, if we find ourselves on the receiving end of abusive behavior, we can respond in two ways. First, we must not be afraid to name evil for what it is, to involve agencies of the state, such as the police and whoever else is needed, and trust the state to play its part. But second, at a personal level, we get to choose how we respond. Jesus asks us to turn away from the temptation to take revenge, from that voice in our head that says, I want to hurt that person like they have hurt me, to take revenge. We're called to turn away from that. And that's not necessarily easy, but that is what Jesus asks of his followers. So we're going to turn now back to Matthew 5, back on page 970, and look more briefly at the second half of the passage, which continues in a similar theme. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. Now, this is another example of the Pharisees having distorted the Old Testament law by the time we got to the time of Jesus. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, God's people were told, 
love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Nothing about hating enemies. But the Pharisees twisted it into an implication that if you are to love your neighbor, you must therefore be required to hate your enemy. In fact, Jewish law taught the opposite. It says that enemies should be treated as well as your friends. So read a couple of verses from Exodus 23, which says this. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. So the Old Testament law doesn't teach anything about hating enemies. You're asked to treat them well. And as Jesus went on to teach in the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are called to be a neighbor to everyone, not just those who are like us or who are our friends. Our enemy, to use Jesus' word, is also our neighbor. And we are to love our enemies and pray for them. And again, to return to my point from earlier, we're not asked to pretend that they have treated us well when they have not but we can choose how we respond. While we may quite rightly hate the evil actions that someone carries out, we are called to show God's love, not only to those who love us back, that's easy, but also to our enemies. And remember that to love your neighbor as yourself, we must first love ourselves. So, Looking after ourselves, that self-care is vital. And again, repeating what I said earlier, the passage doesn't call us to remain in situations that are causing us harm. But we're asked to lay down the desire for revenge and instead seek to show God's love even to those who do not act in a loving way towards us. Jesus concludes with words that seem to set an impossible standard to aim for. In the final verse of the passage, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, honestly, I find that so far removed from the reality of how I live, it's quite depressing to begin to consider all the ways in which I fall short of that standard. So, if any of you feel like that too, maybe, just know that you're not alone. I mean, who can live up to that standard of perfection? Well, only one person. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and suffered and died on the cross for you and for me. He was mocked, insulted, beaten, crucified, Yet he did not choose the path of revenge. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus chose to show love to his enemies, that's you and me, even to the point of death. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, 
we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. So we may well feel that standard of perfect love is unattainable and a million miles from our daily reality. But we are being asked to follow in our Savior's footsteps, to walk in the same path of self-giving love that took him to the cross. It is impossible to do this by ourselves and in our own strength. I think we probably all know that we don't have that sort of love naturally in our hearts. But love is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as we live and grow in relationship with God, so he promises to transform us from the inside out. So little by little, we become more like him and we are more able to reflect his love in our relationships with others. I'm going to finish by reading the passage again, but this time from the message version of the Bible. And as I read, I encourage you to reflect on how Jesus lived out these words in his own life and ask God's Spirit to work in us to make us more like him. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer, for then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone, regardless, the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Amen.